I wanted to preach a standalone message on the topic of prayer entitled Breathe. Prayer is something I've actually never preached on before, uh, but I wanted to dig into the topic a bit. And so the title for this message is Breathe. Since I was very young, I have always been, I don't know, acutely aware of the fragility of breathing, at least in my own body. I recently shared that I was diagnosed with asthma as a young child, uh, probably about the age of five or six. And around the age of seven, I spent some time in the hospital because of asthma. And, you know, I was, I was the sickly kid. So uh, when I graduated high school, my parents presented me with a bill for all of the medical costs that I gave to them as a child and, you know, all that good stuff. And I still owe money on that. Uh, but throughout my childhood, there were a number of ER visits and all that good stuff. But perhaps the most traumatizing event took place when I was around the age of 12. So my older brother and I, we shared a room and we had bunk beds. I was on the top bunk. And uh, maybe that's why I have such a fear of heights. I don't know. But I woke up one night uh, having a pretty bad asthma attack, and that's typical of how my asthma worked back then. It was usually in the middle of the night that I would have these attacks. And so this was before rescue inhalers were commonplace, and I didn't have one. So I had to climb down the bunk bed, go to the bathroom, and set up my nebulizer, uh, which is a machine that basically converts medication into a mist, and you can breathe it in, all that good stuff. Um, but that night, it was a particularly bad asthma attack, and I was kind of like fumbling around with the nebulizer trying to set it up. I just couldn't get it together. I was dropping things, and my mom heard the noise that I was making, and she came out to find me uh, kind of hunched over the, the counter, struggling to get this thing together, and she was a nurse, so she just like went into commando mode or something and threw it all together and uh, you know got it all set up but it just, it wasn't opening up my lungs. So she yelled for my dad to call 911, and uh, I just got spritzed with some water. Um, she called nine, or to have my dad call 911, and so she's trying to get me to breathe with the nebulizer, but it's not opening up my lungs. I was probably various shades of blue or purple. And uh, she had this random thought to flip it around. So I didn't have the kind with the mask. I actually have a picture of the kind that I have had, um, so the mouthpiece is the smaller end of that, um, kind of at the top of the picture, the smaller end. So she flipped around so the larger piece of the tubing was in my mouth, and it managed, by God's grace, to open up my breathing. And so that was pretty frightening, you know, especially for my mom, I think. Um, I'll be honest, in the, in the midst of it all, even though I wasn't breathing and, you know, all that good stuff was happening, I, I didn't have any, you know, revelatory thoughts. Um, in, in that moment, but uh, I lived, and I'm here. Uh, but I've lived with severe asthma most of my life, and thankfully now it's considered controlled, um, but it's certainly a weakness. You know, it's a weakness that I, I can't go and particip participate in all sorts of sports and, and all that kind of stuff. I can't do a lot of activities without grabbing my inhaler, as the airborne people know, uh, anytime we end up playing anything like Foursquare, I have my inhaler handy uh, and will often have to use it. So, um, Airborne, I put my life on the line for you guys. That's just how much I care. Uh, I use a control inhaler morning and night. It's just part of my life. So, I've always been acutely aware of breathing. 
And so I consider each breath a gift. This morning, as we look at the topic of prayer through the analogy of breathing, we'll discuss three ideas. Weakness, inhale, and exhale. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the gift of being able to gather together today. Lord, we thank you that you are here in our midst and you're with us, you're present, your spirit is with us, Lord. And uh, as we hear your word proclaimed, I ask that our hearts would be edified and built up in faith and that we would uh, just rejoice in the good news and that we would go out of here today filled with your spirit and uh, rejoicing in the word of of, uh, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So weakness. Depending on the church tradition you come from, your thoughts on prayer may differ from one another. Uh, I have found prayer to be a topic that while we have plenty of teaching on prayer, uh, especially provided in scripture, we also have plenty of mixed teaching in the church. You can find any number of books telling you how, why, when, what, where, you know, all that kind of stuff in regard to prayer. Methods and formulas abound, all promising to help you uncover the secret hidden treasures of prayer. Perhaps you've been taught that prayer is formal and ritualistic. Maybe you've heard prayers offered with pious words, but it sounds cold and aloof. Or perhaps you've been taught that prayer somehow causes God to work in a way that he would not have otherwise worked. The prayers you've heard sound more like someone attempting to command God to do something And I will say that neither of these is correct. And so where I want to begin our look at prayer is by talking about weakness. And Nate mentioned it at the beginning of service. um, Just being grateful that in our weakness, God is strong. And so that's where we're going to kind of begin with our, our discussion on prayer this morning. Prayer at its core is talking to God. It's communication. It's a conversation. Prayer is communicating our needs and our desires, our feelings, our longings, our hopes, our laments, and our weakness. Prayer is expressed helplessness. Let's look at what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in this passage, it's assumed that we are weak. Weakness is the baseline for the believer. It's our starting point. Now, in culture today, weakness is viewed as a very negative thing. Um, You know, we all have, uh, you know, been encouraged to be strong, be more committed, be, you know, uh, be tough, all that kind of stuff. Weakness is kind of looked down on. But prayer is just that. It's an acknowledging of our weakness. And it's depending on God for help. Grace teaches us that we're weak and that we need God's help for all things. When one is living under grace, prayer becomes a fruit of trusting in Christ. And so you could say that it's an evidence of grace. According to this passage in Romans, there will be times when we don't know what to say in prayer. And I would say for myself, it's probably more often than not. Because most situations that we're in, we probably don't know God's particular will for that situation. But we have this wonderful advocate in the Holy Spirit who, when we don't know what to say, 
knows exactly what to say. He knows the unsearchable will of God, and he knows our hearts. And so he prays for us. And in that, the Holy Spirit's power is made clear, because he's the one who's praying. So God is searching our heart, and the Spirit is interceding, and he knows the will of God. And so sometimes it's okay if your prayer just kind of sounds like a groan. If that's all that you have. The Holy Spirit understands it. Uh, Jared C. Wilson writes this. He's an author. Uh, Through prayer we bear our hearts, minds, and souls to the God who wants to be our friend and deliverer. And the more we do this bearing, the more we will experience of his power. Even in our lowest and weakest of moments, prayer is essentially weaponized weakness. No, prayer isn't magic because we have no power in and of ourselves. Prayers expressed helplessness. It is a verbalized acknowledgement of our own lack of power, of our own weakness, and it is in our weakness that God's power is perfected. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing about a situation that he's often come to the Lord with. He specifically mentions three times he came to the Lord with this thorn in the flesh. This weakness that he had. And in verse 9 he writes this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we see here that Paul's own baseline was that of weakness. He didn't just say to others, You are weak, as if he had somehow arrived. He recognized his own state. And the power that we see here is not Paul's faith, it's not his words, it's not his understanding of the deep mysteries of the gospel. His power is not his own power at all. It's the power of Christ made available through grace. And so prayer isn't magic. It doesn't order God around like some kind of cosmic butler. Prayer isn't unleashing God like he's some kind of chained dog just you know, waiting for a command. Prayer is stating our need for God's continued mercy and grace in all of life's situations. And so why pray? Well, there's a number of reasons. Because we are powerless and God is all-powerful. Because God has invited us to pray. Because God desires to hear from us. You know, I I think it's a a pretty common conversation that families have, but um, communication is often a a barrier, whether in a marriage relationship or between parents and children. Um, But, you know, at the heart of it all, I don't think anybody really wants to hear less from somebody. You know, I want to hear more from my daughter. I want to have her feel freedom to come and talk to me. I want Chanel to feel freedom to come and talk to me. I don't want less of that. And that's how God views us. We have this incredible relationship with him. As we saw a couple weeks ago in 1 John 2.13 as believers, we now can come to God, the one who has been from the very beginning, and we can call him Father. So we're his children. And so we can come to him like that. You know, my daughter often will jump up on my lap and ask me for something. Why? Because she feels like she can. And she's right, she can. She can hop up on my lap and ask me anything. It doesn't always mean she'll get it. Um, And she probably knows how to work the system a little bit. But we have that relationship where she knows that she can come to me with her needs, 
with her desires, with the things she wants. She doesn't make a big show of it. You know, it's not, oh, mighty father of mine. <laughs> it's daddy. In the introduction, I spoke about breathing. And breathing has always been synonymous with life. You know, our bodies can endure a lot of things. But without the ability to draw breaths, we die in just a matter of minutes. And there are some record holders there in the Guinness Book that, you know, they, they've been able to hold their breath for 20 minutes, all that kind of stuff as they do deep sea diving and all that good stuff. But um, that's kind of the exception. That's not the norm. The average person can only go about four or five minutes before there's brain damage. We breathe in and breathe out. And it's, it's how our bodies were designed. It's, it's a necessity. Our bodies are totally dependent on breathing in oxygen so that our cells can have the energy that they need to function. And as I said, because of my asthma, I've always been uh, really aware of breathing and its inherent weakness, at least in my own body. Our life just depends on this ability to draw breaths. We were created with a natural dependence on the ability to breathe. And so as believers, I think we need to recognize that there's another kind of dependence that we have. And it's on the life of the Spirit. We can't live without the life of the Spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. And one way the word is sometimes translated is breath. And all I really want to draw out of that is that as believers, we depend on the Spirit for life. We are weak, but His power is made perfect in weakness. And so we depend on the Holy Spirit. Inhale. Taking a breath into... That was not a command. You you don't have to. (laughs) Taking a breath into your lungs oxygenates you. Carries blood. Our blood carries the oxygen to the cells, giving them the energy to live. It animates our living. Prayer is important. We're told to be constant in prayer. Romans 12.12 says rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. As well, I want to mention, I think it's important to say that um, I truly believe that God is sovereign. I really believe that. Scripture bears witness to that. And prayer doesn't change God's sovereign will or purposes. But I believe that God has designed prayer as a means to how his will is carried out, how it's accomplished. God is sovereign, and he has invited us to pray. He has invited us to bring our needs to him. And so I can confidently say that prayer does change things according to his plans and purposes. Mostly, prayer changes me. And so prayer is indeed important. And I think most would agree that prayer is essential to the well-being, the health of our church and our personal life. But what motivates our life of prayer is just as crucial. One can be motivated for a very short time by guilt, by constant exhortations or manipulation, but it is short-lived. Eventually, you experience burnout. And I've lived this. I've shared a bit of my story before. In my teenage years, I approached Bible reading and prayer uh, in a very superstitious way. I determined to read a chapter of the Bible each night and pray for about 15 minutes. And I would 
inevitably fail to keep these disciplines. I would come home from work because I often set aside time at night to do this. Um, I would come home from work and I'd feel tired, and so I would fall asleep mid-prayer, mid-reading, all that kind of stuff. And I would just feel just heavy condemnation. And I knew that the struggles that I was going through uh, were a result of my failure to keep these disciplines that I had set up. And so I would determine to do more. I would read two chapters the next night. I would pray for 20 minutes, not 15. And then when I started, you know, rehashing the same prayer five minutes in, um, not really knowing what to say or do, I would, you know, stop and feel that same condemnation again. Eventually, though guilt will motivate you to do this, you'll recognize that it's really a terrible motivator. It'll drive you to do what you've promised to do, but you'll grow to hate it. And so that's where I found myself. I, I hated reading scripture. I hated praying. And that had plagued me for quite a long time. Paul says in this passage in Romans 12, rejoice in hope. That's where he starts here. But under the motivation of guilt, there is no rejoicing in hope. And so you need a better motivator. You need something uh, to give you life to your prayer that's better than guilt and condemnation. So what then is it that rightly motivates or animates prayer in the life of the believer? Well, the answer is the gospel. It's what motivates, drives, enables our prayer life. And when we recover the centrality of the gospel in our lives... The scriptures come alive as we inhale God's wonderful promises to us. The gospel and God's word oxygenate us to the depths of our very spiritual being. Just as inhaling a deep breath of air brings focus and clarity, it brings a calm to our bodies. Inhaling the gospel and the scriptures brings clarity, focus, and calmness, calmness to our soul. Walter Marshall writes this, It is the gospel that makes prayer possible. Christ, the mediator of the new covenant by whom justification and sanctification are promised, is also the mediator who makes your prayers accepted by the Father. The Holy Spirit who gives you the new birth, who unites you to Christ, who sanctifies you, and who shows you the things of Christ is a spirit of prayer. He is like a fire inflaming your soul, and he makes you mount upward in prayer to God. So prayer will not flow from compulsion. It's not going to flow from a set of rules or more commitment to self-discipline. Not saying that self-discipline is bad by any means, but if all your focus is is self, then prayer is not going to be a fruit of that. A deeper prayer life flows from a heart that's saturated in the gospel. The life of the Spirit will work in this. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How will we desire to obey the commands of God? It's his spirit within us, desiring to obey. And that's a gospel promise. Another promise that will fuel our desire to pray pray is that of adoption. Paul says it twice, once in Romans and once in Galatians. So it must be important. Otherwise, he wouldn't repeat himself. Romans 8, 14 and 15. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So fear and guilt no longer need to serve as our motivators. We are no longer under the law. Under grace, we've been given the spirit of God, and we've been adopted as children of God, and we can now cry, Father. So the gospel gives us assurance that God has forgiven our sins and will not deal with us according to our lawless deeds, but will deal with us as sons and daughters of God. Prayer is not the duty of a slave, but the privilege of a son. In Matthew 6, this is perhaps the most referenced teaching on prayer. In fact, Derek had preached from it twice in the history of Grace Life. Uh, and I may have tuned in a little bit for some uh, added help. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. Notice he begins by telling them to come to God as Father. Now, I'm not, I don't have the scripture to display, but if you look through Matthew 6, you'll see that. As well, he tells them not to pray with big words and loud boasting like the religious do. So keep it short, keep it simple, and come to him as Father. And all of this is enabled, guided, and led by the Holy Spirit. The gospel itself is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, pointing us constantly to Christ. So when we look to anything outside of the gospel as a motivator for our prayer, or really anything else in the Christian life, we disconnect from the source of supernatural power. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation or anything like that. Uh, I'm speaking of what enables us to have assurance, joy, and the remaining fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we disconnect from that, we lose that assurance and that joy that we have. We lose the, the power to motivate us in these things. We've established that our own power is not power at all. It's weakness. And in weakness, we depend on the Spirit for that supernatural power by trusting in the gospel. Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are all synonyms. I'm glad I said that right because normally it comes out cinnamon. These are all synonyms of the gospel. These are not things that we do. They're not things that we rely on ourselves for. These are all gospel promises, gospel truths. These are all the things that Christ has already done. And so we're being exhorted here not to trust in our own strength. If, if you were strong, if you had power in and of yourself, you wouldn't need his armor. So trust in the one who reigns victorious over sin, death, and the grave. The power to stand is not within yourself. 
It's within the gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How do we access this power? Hear and believe the word of Christ. Hear and believe the word of the cross that Paul says is the power of God, and then ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Ephesians five eighteen through 19, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This word filled speaks of continually being filled. And I've heard lots of examples of what this is like, and some better than others, some pretty terrible. One thing is for certain, it's not saying that you will lose the Holy Spirit somehow. It's not like a gas tank where you drive around and then you're empty. So you better go back and get more before the price keeps going up. You can't use up the Holy Spirit. I always appreciated how Derek spoke of it as getting to know the Holy Spirit more and more. It's, it's relational. And I was thinking in terms of our ongoing metaphor of breathing, being filled with the Spirit is like being able to take a breath after breath after breath after breath, but without the physical need to exhale. Imagine if you could just inhale constantly, more and more and more. Well, as a believer, you can just keep drinking in more and more and more and be filled more and more and more. In 2018, we went to Mount Rainier National Park near Seattle, Washington, and I have a picture um, of a little spot that we went to called the Grove of the Patriarchs. It's a beautiful old-growth forest. Now, I chose this picture because all of it's cute, but also because you can kind of see one of the really big trees in the background. I have, I don't know, maybe 50 to 100 pictures from our time there, but none of them really do it justice. It's, it's one of those things that I don't think a camera can possibly capture um, First of all, the size of any one individual tree in this forest. But um, you just can't really grasp the, the beauty of it without being there. But these amazing ancient Douglas firs and western hemlocks and western red cedars, and yes, I had to look that up, had stood hundreds of years, some for over a 1,000 years. And I just remember being in awe of all that God had created, how massive these trees were, and how up until very recently, he was the only one that enjoyed it. He kept it all to himself. People hadn't been there. And I remember the air there just smelled incredible. It's just, I don't know, you, I, don't, I wanted to sit there and just breathe, to breathe it all in, because it was just amazing. We have something far greater than the amazing smell of the air at the Grove of the Patriarchs. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Inhale deeply of his supernatural power. It will motivate, enable, and equip you to pray. The Holy Spirit will inspire, empower, receive, and apply your prayers. The power is not in you, but it comes from God himself as you look to the gospel. And so having oxygenated yourselves with the gospel of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, breathe out. Pray. And so exhale. And you can exhale if you want.
One of the reasons for this metaphor of breathing is that breathing, as necessary as it is for life, is mostly an automatic thing. I really didn't have to tell any of you to breathe during the course of this message. You just were doing it. And even if you could attempt to hold your breath as long as you could, eventually the automatic function of breathing would kick in, triggered by something in the brainstem. So prayer shouldn't be treated as a difficult thing. It should become a very natural thing for us as believers. So we don't really need hundreds of books telling us how, why, when, what to pray for. Um, There are certainly some good ones, so that's not just a blanket statement that you should never read a book on prayer. There are some, some really good ones that can help us understand prayer more, for sure. But as believers grounded in the gospel of grace, we can just breathe. We can just pray. We have everything that we need in the gospel. When our hearts have been saturated with the gospel, we will find prayer is a worshipful response to what God has done through Christ. God has invited us to pray because of all that we've just looked at, and we can have confidence to speak to our Heavenly Father. We, th- we breathe in deeply of all the promises that we see in his word and the gospel, and we breathe out in prayer, fully aware of our weakness and need. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we draw near the throne in confidence? There's a couple things. First, because it's the throne of grace and not judgment. And second, because we've been adopted and loved, we have been beckoned to come. We've been invited to come. You know, which of us can say we don't need mercy and grace at all times? None of us. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. When we see that we need mercy and grace at all times, that our baseline is that of weakness, the idea of praying without ceasing makes a little bit more sense. Because we're constantly going to God, our Father, full of confidence, boldly approaching the throne of grace, knowing that we have a need. We need more mercy. We need more grace. This is his will for us. It's not ritualistic. It's, it's relational. We can simply move in and out of our day in prayer. In a very natural way. Now, having a dedicated time of prayer is certainly helpful. It's a good thing. Start your morning off in prayer, reading the scriptures. But if your hope is in your dedication or your discipline, like mine was when I was uh, in my teenage years, it's misplaced. If all we ever do is sectioned off times of prayer, moving through our prayer list, then maybe we don't really know him as Father. If your child approached you every morning uh, and just you know, spent two minutes with you and then for the rest of their day didn't want anything to do with you, would you feel that they really know the relationship between child and parent? If all you spent with them was just a minute in the morning where they said, "Um, today uh, I will need to do this, 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 and this. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. We We wouldn't really have a relationship, would we? But a natural relationship moves in and out. It's freely talking one to another. And so it is with prayer. If that's all prayer is for us, we don't really know him as Father, and we haven't inhaled deeply the gospel realities that enable us to move throughout our day speaking to him as Father. 
Now, lists aren't bad. I use prayer lists all the time. Uh, they're, they're helpful tools, so I'm not dogging prayer lists by any means. I'm a pretty forgetful person, and so without my prayer list, I, I will often forget some of the things I want to pray about. But let's not treat them as grocery lists, where we walk up to God and say, I need these things. All right, where are they? Prayer is not to get things from God, but is a means of grace for our encouragement and strengthening of our faith. It's a very ordinary yet supernatural means of God's grace coming to us in our need as we lay before God in confidence all the cares, concerns, needs, and desires that we have. And this is part of God's will for us, to come to him daily for grace and mercy. Lastly, I want to say in prayer, come to God as Father. And I know we've already talked about that a lot, but I want to mention it in this way. Um, You are his child, and so maybe pray like a child. I got to be honest, I think sometimes our kids are better prayers than any of us. They haven't learned yet all the religious baggage. They just pray from the heart. So spend some time, if you have kids, listening to your kids pray. If you don't have kids, maybe uh, pop your head into the kids' ministry sometime and see if they're praying. Sometimes it, it just causes you to step back and go, wow, like these kids actually know how to come to God. You know, it's funny, I've seen the Lord answer many of Olive's prayers. And sometimes they're the most simple things in the world. She just doesn't know to treat God like a foreign entity, like like a judge or anything like that. She just treats him like father. And so she asks whatever's on her heart. So listen to the kids pray. And maybe pray like that. Simple, full of faith, not doubting, quick and to the point. We've seen our weakness. We've seen the gospel promises that we inhale, giving oxygen to our prayer. We've seen now how simple prayer can be, moving in and out of it as easy as breathing. Praying without ceasing because we have access to our Heavenly Father. And so let's bring this to a conclusion. To show us some things to pray for, let's turn back to Ephesians, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So this passage comes right after what Paul wrote about Um, with the armor of God. It's interesting that he finishes this uh, topic of the armor of God with prayer. The gospel equips us to pray. The gospel equips us and enables us to pray. I believe there's some practical applications we can draw out of this passage in regard to what we can pray for. Our new roof. Because you've been saved... Pray for others to be born again. Name names. Pray boldly for salvation. (coughs) Because you've been forgiven, pray for those who are struggling with sin. Pray for your fellow believers who have confessed to you their struggles. Because you've been adopted, pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that they would be built up in the gospel. Pray for the witness of the church. Pray for the strength of the church. Pray for the unity of the church. 
Because you've been equipped and covered with the armor of God, pray for yourself and for others to have boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And additionally, we can pray for our neighbors and the communities that we live in. Pray for this, uh, pray the scriptures. Um, that's a whole nother message in and of itself. But as you read scriptures and it fills your heart, just pray the scriptures out loud. The Psalms are very helpful for that. Just pray what David wrote. Pray for all manner of needs. Don't hesitate to bring your needs to the Father. Present them to him. Give them to him. And corporate prayer. We've mostly dealt with the idea of personal prayer. But corporate prayer, praying in a gathering, is a beautiful, ordinary, supernatural means of grace available to us. As we pray together, God's grace is given to us in a very special way. It's wonderful to just listen to each other pray and it builds faith. It encourages. And so I just want to mention a few ways that that can happen. Um, in our grace groups, we encourage all groups to have a time of prayer together. And so I just want to reiterate that. If you're in a group, take time to pray. Uh, it's just a wonderful time as we support one another, as we care for one another, and lift up one another. And then take those needs home as well. You know, that's more personal, but um, when, you, when you hear these needs, pray for them throughout your week. But that praying together does something. It's, it has a real tangible effect in building one another up. Weekly prayer. Uh, Thursday at 9 a.m., we gather, some of us gather for prayer here. I know that's not necessarily a convenient time for everyone, so it's not going to fit everyone's schedule. So there's no condemnation if, if you can't make it. You can't make it, and uh, even if your schedule is free and you don't make it, there's still no condemnation. That's the wonderful thing about grace. Romans 8 one says there is no condemnation. And so this isn't a message to hold prayer over you as an obligation. But we do meet every Thursday at 9 a.m. for prayer, and so you're more than welcome to come and be a part of that. And then monthly prayer. Uh, we are going to begin a once-a-month uh, time of prayer, just uh, you know, Saturday night. I don't have it officially on the calendar yet. I'm still looking at that, uh, probably beginning in June. I will announce that as I figure that out, but um, this is a no-obligation opportunity for those who are wanting to get together and pray, just to come out here to Grace Life on a Saturday evening and pray with other believers. There's not going to be really a set agenda, uh, just a time of prayer where the doors are open. So having said all of that, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Father and we can come to you as your children and pray. We thank you that you have beckoned us to come, that you've invited us to come. And Lord, we just say thank you, and we praise you for that. Lord, I ask that you would stir up our hearts to pray, that we would have gospel fuel uh, to, to help us to pray, that we would take prayer seriously, but that we would also move in it freely under grace without any obligation or condemnation, Lord that we would see how natural it is that we can come to you in prayer. Lord, I ask for just freedom for this congregation to feel uh, this desire for prayer, Lord, just freedom to be able to pray, not to feel the, bound, the binds of any obligation or discouragement in regard to prayer, Lord, but that they would feel free to pray. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.